0: Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. Let me read a couple of verses here out of Ephesians. And so it's, uh, it says in verse 11, Lord, help me. In him also we have attained an inheritance. Being pre- predestined, this is not Presbyterian predestination, by the way. Uh, I don't really think that's exactly right, the way they do that. And I was, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, okay? And on one side of my family, I had a lot of uncles or grandfathers and church planners in the Presbyterian world, but they got this predestination thing way off. So I don't believe that certain people are going to get saved, you know, and everybody else is not and all that good stuff. It's not really what it says, uh, but being forget predestination, okay? <laughs> being predestined according to the purpose of him. That's, God has a purpose for everybody. For each one of us, there's a purpose that God uh, had in his heart before you were even created, that, that he had something for you, and he brought you into this planet to fulfill that purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, isn't that beautiful? And then in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He's the one. He's like uh, another way of saying that. He's the, the down payment. He's the, the thing that's going he's the person that's going to cause us to come into our purpose. He's the, per, the person who's going to cause us to have our full inheritance, okay? So if you didn't guess yet, today I want to talk to you about your spiritual inheritance, Okay, inheritance is a big deal. Now, you know the Bible uh, is called, uh, we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. We're living in the New Testament. The Old Testament was done away with, fulfilled actually by Christ. He fulfilled everything the Old Testament had in it completely. So it's it's done, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews, he takes away the first, which is the Old Covenant, to establish the second, which is the New Covenant. The, so it's interesting that we, the phrase is "the New Testament," it's the thing about it like, this the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. That's what the New, the, the New Testament is. It's the last will let me read a legal definition of a, of a last will and testament. It's a legal document, that's what the New Testament is, that communicates a person's final wishes pertaining to their assets. It provides specific instructions about what to do with their possessions. That's what the New Testament is. It is exactly that. That God, Jesus Christ, God in, the, in, in, God in Christ came to the earth, okay, as a human being, as a man, fully God, fully man, and walked this earth and died. Okay, he died, okay, and that's what happens. When a person dies, then their will can be read, Their will is, and then then whatever was in the will, whoever he willed it to, they can begin to take possession of of the assets that this person had while he was alive. And so that's what that's what the whole thing about the New Testament. And so in the Gospels, Jesus introduces himself to us. He introduces God to us. This this is a beautiful thing, y'all. Jesus came to say, hey. Everybody has an opinion about who God is, what God's like. I'm going to not only tell you who he is and what he's like, I'm going to show you. That's, and so in the New Testament pages, we can read what Jesus said and how Jesus acted was exactly what God, that's what God is like. It's not all this other stuff that people clamor around and say about God and or, or demissive of God and God's an angry God and God's a far off God. Jesus debunked it. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's exactly what he said. So he came to reveal the Father, but he also, so that was one of his purposes. In, in, but it also came because Jesus wanted us to have the life, he wanted us to have the things that God ordained before the foundation of the world for human beings to have. Okay, are y'all with me? In other words, God, before the foundation of world, God created something. He had a thought in his mind, this is what I want for humanity. And part of it, obviously, was a relationship with him, to walk with him, to commune with him. And the other part had to do with living from the tree of life, not from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And, the, and there was a part, this is all in, in Genesis, where he, he gave the earth to man. He put the earth under man's authority. In fact, the psalm says, "It says the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth belongs to the sons of men." And so God gave this over. And obviously, you know the story. The devil came in and tricked man and deceived man, and man began to give away what God wanted him to have, and and put it to gave it gave the devil the authority. Are y'all with me this morning? He gave the devil the authority to rule over this ram. And that's what went on all through the Old Testament. All this terrible stuff was because it was a dark, evil world. And then Christ came to, and died. He came and died and to restore us back to what God originally wanted us to have. Isn't that beautiful? Am I talking to anybody? I don't know about you, but... Uh, I want my inheritance. Jesus paid a huge price for me and you to have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1-3. He paid a huge price for us to be able to tap into that. And so God's looking for a people who, want, who uh, as, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, that will be willing to, to press on to the upward call of God in Christ to forget what's behind, to let go, and reach for something more. What he's talking about, he's not talking about striving. He's not talking about earning something. He's talking about laying hold of what is rightfully ours. Okay? And, and so that's, how, that's an, another way the, the book of Ephesians does. It lays it out for us, what belongs to us. Actually, there's like four or five things, at least five. There's five things in the book of Ephesians about our our inheritance. Number one, there's the wealth of our inheritance. Number two, there's the walk of our inheritance. Number three, there's the warfare, the warfare of our inheritance, okay? Number four, there's the worship of our inheritance. Number five, there's the workmanship, okay? So not only does the Lord give us an inheritance, he, within his book, in in all his books in the New Testament, he lays out how we have to lay hold of this. There's things that, that, will, that will cause you to be able to prosper in your inheritance. It's like if, if, if a father had money and left it to one of his sons in a, in a will and wrote down, but son, here's what you need to do to make this money work for you. Invest it this way, spend it this way, don't do this, don't do that. That's what, that's what Paul's trying to tell us here. God has actually given us wisdom to be able to grab a hold of his inheritance and walk in it and see ourselves prosper and help others grab a hold of that inheritance. Isn't that amazing? When you begin to look at the Bible like that, you begin to see it in a different way and actually you begin to see it the way God designed it to be. Part of our problems with scriptures, okay, is that we're looking at it in a, we're reading it in a way that it was not meant to be read, we're reading it and trying to get something from it where God's saying, no, that's not the way to look at this. You need to look at this the way I look at it. You need to hear it the way I hear it. That's one of the reasons when I, when I read the Scripture, I'm always praying, Lord, help me to read it in the same spirit that it was written. Because those, those people who wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they had something in their heart from the Lord that they were trying to get us to see. Or, am I talking to anybody? And so, you know, you know, the Lord wants us to not only receive the inheritance, He wants to teach us how to walk in it, teach us how to be blessed, so we can be a blessing to others. Also, to keep the devil from stealing it. Because there, the, even though Christ defeated the devil, this book, the whole New Testament has indications and direct things about there's an enemy that wants and is not going to let go of holding on to what belongs to you. He's going to fight you over it. He's going to resist you over it. Okay? So there's a warfare that you and I have to face. You know, we had to look at warfare the way God looks at warfare. Am I talking to anybody? Okay, well I'm gonna read the these are a few verses and I really appreciate the person on the media letting me read. Let me do it's hard, man, because they do it in Spanish and English, so. But I want to read this prayer at the end of chapter one, okay, that Paul prayed to help us. Okay, and, and, th- and if y'all know me, anybody who knows me for long time knows this is a, a vital prayer in my life. This this prayer has been huge in my life, actually. And so he, Paul lays everything out in chapter 1 of Ephesians. This really gives us a grand view. You know, I shared last week, the grand view, the blueprint of your life. This is what God wants for you. This is how God wants you to get it. And then at the end, but he says, I've got to pray this prayer because apart from what he prayed in this prayer, this stuff ain't going to work. Your Christianity is not going to work very well. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory... And I love that. The father of glory. God's going to release his glory in the earth, y'all. He really is. It, the Bible has promised us that. Hey, you know, this is a good way to look at what's going on with Israel. Okay? It's in the Bible. It's going to happen. Okay? So, we know that. Let's don't freak out. It's written in there. Okay, the Lord said this was going to happen. How do we need to respond, Lord? Let's don't get freaked out. How many people wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Anybody 3 o'clockers wake up? Oh, Lord, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about the President of the United States and what's going on in the White House, thinking, oh, my gosh, Lord, we're in so much trouble. Help, Lord. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't need to be freaked out. I just need to pray according to the will of God. Lord, let your kingdom come into the White House. Let your will be done in the White House. Let your kingdom come over there in Gaza Strip, Lord. You know, then you can go back to sleep instead of being anxious. The Father of glory. The Bible says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's a promise in the Bible. It's going to happen. And I'm planning on being a part of it if I'm still here. If I'm not, I'm going to still be a part of it somewhere else like in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? So we're in, man. We're in. The glory is part of our inheritance. And and that's what I was feeling the other night in that prayer meeting. I was feeling a touch of glory. Just a touch. A touch enough when I walked around, I felt like, ooh, let me just go sit down and be still in this glory. That's what I felt. Let me just be still and enjoy this glory. He says that, uh, that he may give. The, the, the Father of glory, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's key right there. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's what God wants us to flow in. That's a, that, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, think about it like this. It's not a one-shot deal of wisdom. It's not a one-shot deal of revelation that God gives you one day. Lord, I need wisdom about this. No, it's a river of wisdom. It's a flow of wisdom out of your spirit, man. Your spirit that's divinely one with the Holy Spirit who has all wisdom and revelation. That's what Paul's talking about, that that would begin to operate in our life and begin to flow in our life. We can flow in this. We can have this as an ongoing experience. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. In fact, we desperately need that. That, to me, this is, this is not optional. This is part of our inheritance, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, in the knowing of Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ. All those are legitimate ways to look at it. One, the spirit of wisdom and revelation helps us to know the Lord better. It helps our relationship with the Lord. But also the spirit of wisdom and revelation is, comes about because of our relationship with the Lord, because of our communion with the Lord. Am I talking to anybody? Help me. I love all this. If it's too much or if you don't like it, you can slap me later. Yeah, yeah. Then he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding. Some translations he uses, the eyes of your heart, which is legit. I remember the first time reading the eyes, I think it's in a New American Standard, the eyes of your heart. Seriously? We have eyes in our heart? That was the first time in my life I realized my inner man had five senses. It had eyes. It had ears. It has a a smell. It has a touch. It has all of those just like my natural man does. In fact, my natural man, the five senses of my natural man are built upon the five senses of my spiritual man. Me as a spiritual man can feel things. Me as a spiritual man can, can smell things which would be discerning. Okay, and hear and see. Me as a spiritual man can say, ooh, don't touch that, that's hot, right? You know, it protects you. Don't y'all love that? And it's like walking, like we're, as believers, without this, we're like walking in a dark room, okay? You know, in your house, you can walk around in the dark, right? Because you know everything, but you still have to feel, right? You don't just walk, well, when you get older, you don't. Okay, you might, when you're young, just run around aimlessly. But when you get older, uh, recently I was walking around in the pitch dark in the middle of the night. And we have, you know, kitchen counters that are granite. And I hit, I banged into one really, and it hurt me. It hurt, I could feel it all up in my spine and everything. Because I was not really paying attention. I wasn't walking around feeling Okay, so a lot of us spend our Christian life like that. We're, we're walking in the dark. We can, we're we're kind of at home. We can kind of feel things. But that's not what God wanted. It's like, oh, let me do this for you. The spirit of wisdom and reality. this light comes on. And suddenly you see everything. You know where to walk. You know where not to walk. You begin to see the things that God wants you to see. He wants you to see into the spirit world. He wants you when you hear something. To know, oh, that's not coming from the Lord. That's not the truth. That's a lie. That's something to put fear in people. And a lot of, I'll tell you, a lot of what the news does, they tell you stuff that's not really true. And then later they'll come back and tell you it's not. Yeah. Oh, well, we're sorry we messed up. Like, yeah. You know, year, I think I've told you all this many times. Years ago, back in the in the early 90s, Bob Jones prophesied about a prophet that was going to rise up in America that would be absolutely powerful and absolutely the most evil prophet that ever was on the face of the earth. And he said, and that prophet is the news media. And it's become that, y'all. It's become that. Okay? Conservative news media, media liberal news media, they're all saying, they all have an agenda. But God has something else to say. And God wants us to tap into what he's saying. Because we can pray really well when we hear what God's saying. Right? Are you all with me so far? Well, I'm spending too much time on all this. Anyways, it doesn't matter, right? All right, so we're going to be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. That's beautiful. The hope. The hope. He didn't say that you might know your calling. He said the hope of your calling. You see, that's where there's a, a thing that happens about when everybody has a calling. Many are called. All are called. few chosen, But there's this hope that comes into your life when you begin to respond to the call of God on your life. It comes with hope. And hope is the uh, key element in faith. Right? You can't, your faith won't work without hope. And hope is one of the eternal virtues of God, faith, hope, and love. Isn't that cool? Faith, hope, and love. They all work together. The Bible says our faith, in, in, I think it's in Galatians 5, verse 6, your faith is energized by love. In other words, if you're not walking in love, your faith won't work. If you don't have hope, you won't have faith. You have a very incomplete faith, a wrong faith. All that stuff will make a difference in your life if you begin to tap into it. The hope of his calling. And what are, listen, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us? See, that's the third time Paul mentioned inheritance. The riches of the glory of his inheritance that he's placed in us. You see, the truth is, is we have this inheritance. The problem is, here's what the problem is. Here's what the problem is with a lot of Christianity. We have it all. But it's in our spirit. It's not in our soul, it's not in our flesh yet. God has put everything in us when He made us a new creation in Christ. We have it all. The problem is we've not experienced it all. We're not walking out. We haven't been able to lay hold of it all. And that's what this is about: learning how to lay hold of what you have been given is what's rightfully and legally yours. But I'll tell you, it does not happen automatically. That's a delusion. So there's a lot of believers walking around delusional, saying, oh, I have it all, I have it all. And it's like, and you're cheating on your wife? You're mean to your kids? Come on, you don't have it all. What about the scriptures where it says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See, there's a process that we had to go through to really walk in this inheritance. Well, come on, y'all. Don't just stare at me like that. Look at me. Tell me you're mad at me. <laughs> I'm mad at you. I've been mad at preachers before. And they were preaching. I, they were saying stuff I didn't like. I'm like, I'm so mad at you for saying that. Now i got to deal with this. So that's one of them. Another one is, and what is the exceeding? Did you notice those words what? You might know what is, the hope of his calling. What are, are, is is for you, are, There's inheritance. That's a very wide open thing. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's your inheritance that he's put in you. That's what he wants us to go after. And oh, this is it. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Notice he didn't say great power or exceeding, exceeding greatness. Paul was trying to put together a bunch of words to describe something that was indescribable. That's how Paul saw the power of God. It ain't just great power. It ain't big power. It ain't nice power. It's exceeding greatness power. He was wanting. He was trying to emphasize. Or let us know something that God is all powerful. God is the most powerful thing there is, and He's trying to get us to see that. Okay, the exceeding greatness of towards us according to the working of His mighty power. <laughs> He won't let it go. I think that word there, mighty, is actually energy. I think it's his mighty energy working in us. Is that right? Yeah, because because he uses some different words for power. You know, one of them we all know is dunamis power, right? That's the dynamic power. There's this energetic power. It's this mighty energy, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So what Paul is saying, you have that same power. You have the same power and same energy that brought Christ d- up from the grave. That's powerful, y'all. And God really wants, that's part of our inheritance is what I want us to say. That's what we got to go after. We got to be people who go after the power of God. Don't be, don't let a religious spirit tell you you shouldn't. Because a religious spirit will tell you all day long not to be. Oh, you shouldn't. Oh, they want power. They want, they want gifts. They, don't listen to that. It's part of our inheritance. I want it. I'm not embarrassed to say it. If it's there, if it's available, we need it. We desperately need it. Okay. When he, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and see to him. I just read that far above. All right, this is it. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. All these he's talking about. He's talking about the demonic world. Principality's powers, might, and dominion. He's talking, about, he's talking about really powerful, high-level entities. Those same entities that are at work in, in the United States today. He's not talking about just somebody who has demon oppression. You know, there's a big difference. I'm going to tell you that now. The Bible nowhere tells us to cast down a principality. It says we wrestle against them. It says cast out demons. A person can have a demon. We can break the power of that demon. But I'll even tell you this, demons, if you run across somebody who's really got a demon operating in them and it speaks to you, you will feel a cold, scary feeling that will come over you. I mean, like ice cold. You, you know, your, your spine gets cold because they're cold, they're dead, they're how ha- you know. But they're just demons. They're, they're low level. These principalities are, are not anything to mess with. We don't go cat, We don't deal with them like that. There's another way to deal with them. And he actually tells us in here how to deal with them. Because he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against them. We had to wrestle them down and through prayer, through worship, through declaration of the word of God, through not giving in to fear. All of these are things that will, will wrestle down those principalities and powers. And we had to really realize this, y'all, about warfare, is we, we have assignments on this earth. We have realms of authority. Even Paul himself said it; he didn't go in, a, in other places where other men had authority. He preached in the realm of authority that God gave him. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you have authority everywhere you go. You have authority with yourself where you go. But that doesn't mean you can go into a place... You, like, I can't go into another church and all of a sudden have authority in that church. I had to go and submit. So when we deal with those things, we have to be careful that we don't start going after things that we don't really have authority to, that God says, no, I didn't assign you to do that. Don't do that. There was a guy named Carlton Kenney. Anybody ever heard of him? Y'all probably hadn't. He was, he was way back, but he was an amazing guy, and he was a missionary in Japan. And he's a really great preacher. Had a lot of anointing, but he—you know what happened to him? And this is what he said. And I'm just going to tell you what he said. You can believe it or not. He got cancer, and this is what he said. Here's the reason I got cancer. When I was in Japan, I started going after principalities when I knew the Lord didn't give me the authority to, and I opened myself up. That's sort of disturbing, isn't it? I opened my. It eventually, killed him. I heard that as a young believer. I was like, okay, I ain't messing with no thing unless the Lord tells me to. Uh Uh-uh, no. mm -mm. I'm serious. And so we we need to take this thing serious that we don't just go after things. I know a lot of Christians don't like that. I've been, uh, let me just go ahead and say this too about that. You know, uh, Bob Jones, you know, he did a lot of deliverance in his ministry for years and years. A lot of deliverance. And basically, his wife, his first wife, not Bonnie, his first wife pretty much lost her mind. And, and this is what he said. He said, I exposed her too much to the demonic realm. He said, because I did all that deliverance in my home, people would come to my house. And he, and he really warned us over and over about you had to be real careful how you deal with the demonic realm. Because this stuff is real, and you don't want to mess with something you're not called to mess with or you have an assignment to mess with. Yeah John Paul Jackson, who was another prophet, you know, anybody know who John Paul Jackson is? Yeah, he wrote a really great book called "Needless Casualties of War." And basically, it was pretty much what took what Bob Jones said and, and created the teaching, teachings out of it. Everybody who's involved in any kind of spiritual warfare needs to read that book. Because it's really got a lot of wisdom in it. Well, y'all look so happy. <laughs> um, I didn't really mean to get off on of all that, but it's really the truth. I mean, if you don't believe in all this, y'all, you're not believing the Bible. If you're not believing there's a spiritual realm, there's a spiritual war, there's demons, there's principalities, there's powers, if you don't believe those things are operating in the United States, you, you, you need to go take a, a deeper look at the Bible. If you don't believe, if you, if you ever went to Israel, you know right away there was. Okay, if you go to Israel, you're like, uh uh-oh, there's a whole other realm of spiritual warfare over there. There's some bad religious demons that killed Jesus, so it's pretty powerful demons. Okay, where was I at? Which he worked with Christ when he raised him dead, see to him far above all. I love that word far above all. Listen, I'm going to get something good here. And, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That Christ's name is above all, and he put all things under his feet. All things. That's what it says. Everything's under Jesus' feet. We don't act like it, do we? We act like we're scared to death half the time. What's going to happen? We're afraid of him. We don't see everything under Jesus' feet. Um, but it says he did. And gave him to be a head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that amazing? That's what we are, the body of Christ. So there's that four things in there about for us to really have our inheritance. Number one is, is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's having a relationship. That's part of our spiritual inheritance, that each one of us can have that. It's not something we earn. It's given to us. It's something that we had to be intentional about. Number two, to, to have the hope. Of his call and work. Now we will have this eternal power of hope. That comes with knowing that we're called by him. Called into his family. Called into his work. Into the kingdom. Number three. To know the glorious. To know. Actually know what that inheritance is. To know the wealth that we have. To really begin to see the wealth of his glory. And you know that will change you. When you begin to see that. You know what it'll do to you? It'll make you think about all the stuff you love on this earth. You'll think, "Uh, that's not quite as good as what I'm seeing. There's something better for me to give my life to besides earthly pleasures and material. And, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that the Lord has something much better for us. And then the other one's the the exceeding greatness of his power. But here's where it gets cool, y'all. And And then he says something in verse... Chapter 2, verse 1. Are y'all still with me? Okay, then he says, listen, just amazing two words. And you that and you connects with what he was saying about Jesus being raised above all principalities, powers, rulers, and dominions. He's connecting because he went off on a little tirade about Jesus because he loved Jesus so much and going on about him being the head over the church. But what he wanted us to see, this wasn't just for Jesus. That's why he says, and you, and you and I. He's connecting it like, God did all this for Jesus, and he did it for you too. Yeah. That and you, are that's a t- two powerful words in this book. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he goes on in the next two, uh, two and three and he talks about the devil's influence in the world but then in verse 4 are y'all with me so far I'm just hitting some high points he says two more powerful words listen to this he talked about the devil the prince of the power of the air the course of this world then he says but God did you know but God is two of the most powerful words in the New Testament it's here's what but God means it means things are bad In fact, we're going down. We're falling apart. We're dying. And then, but God, everything shifts. You find it all over the New Testament where, where it'll be talking about some terrible thing. Like what he taught about here. And then he says, but God. It really is too powerful. How many people have ever had a but God? Everybody in this room, if you're saved, you had a but God. You were going down the tubes. You were a drug addict. You were an idiot. You were consumed by, you know, uh, the world. But God. You know, I had literally, y'all, when I was an unbeliever, I had people wanting to kill me. I've had a couple people threaten to kill me since then. But it was but God. But God came into my life one night. And I've had many but God since then. You know, in my home, when when things looked like, you know, things were bad, the situation was bad, no food, no work, no anything but God. Are you seeing what I'm saying? There's probably people, maybe somebody in this room right now needs a but-God in their life. You know, that's a great way to pray when you don't know how to pray. Lord, I need a but-God. You can pray this over, over... What's going on in Israel? Lord, we need a butt God over there. We need a butt God in the White House. We need a butt God in the church house. We just need a butt God to come in and do what butt God does. He butts the devil out. You know, that's what he does. He butts him out. And he comes in. But God who is rich in mercy because his great love No, yeah, which he had, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And listen to this, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Made us sit together. So we've been raised up and we've been seated. Literally, you are seated in the heavenly places. You don't feel like you are. Some of you don't even believe you are. Some of you would say, oh, that's just a positional thing. No, that's a spiritual reality. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly place. In fact, Washman Nee wrote a great little book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Anybody ever read that one? And it's on the book of Ephesians. And he basically lays it out. The three, there's three parts. First, you are seated with Christ. Then you walk in the light. You know, he tells you what how to walk in verses in chapter four, five, and six. And then you stand against the enemy. His whole point was, don't you dare try to stand against the enemy until you learn how to sit down with Christ. Everything comes from rest. One time I remember years ago, Becky was leading worship, and it was just a big-time struggle for her. She was really struggling a lot about it. It was was like a hard season. And she kept asking the Lord what to do, and one day she had a vision, and she saw her chair. And she, what, am I supposed to quit? I'm like, no, you're just, you, you, you gotta go, you gotta sit down with me. You gotta come to a place of rest. If you'll rest in me, then you can do what I've asked you to do. If you'll rest in me, I can walk out my calling. If you'll rest in me, does that make sense? I actually read this testimony from this lady this morning who's, who lives in Israel. And she said, you know, when that war first started over there, she's a real prophetic woman. And so she jumps in right away to start doing things, you know, helping the troops, you know, taking things to the troops, praying for people, encouraging people. And just, she said within one week, she felt burned out. I mean, literally, she went a week doing this stuff and was burned out. And the Lord kept saying, you got to rest. You you can't do warfare until you learn how to rest in me first. And then out of that rest, you can do your warfare. Are you all hearing this? This is really, really important for us. Because a lot of Christians today are caught up into political spirits and things, and they're they're wrapped tight as a tick. And if you say anything that doesn't fit their agenda, they lash out at you. I'm telling you, they do, y'all. I've been burnt up. I've been cooked. But here's the the problem I see. They're not resting, okay, in Jesus, okay? We're not seated there. So there was a a guy uh, over in Chapel Hill who had his T-shirt on that said, the good fight of faith. Okay, when I looked at him, I said, hey man, do you know that it's a bad fight of faith? He said, I never heard of that. Where's that in the Bible? I said, well, if there's a good fight, there's a bad fight. Here's what a good fight is. A good fight is we are fighting from the victory that Christ gave us. A bad fight is when we're trying to get the victory. And a lot of our, our, I spend a lot of times our praying and our stuff we're doing it's like a bad fight. We're fighting hard to get something when the Lord said, no, you're not fighting from rest. You're not fighting from what I've done for you. If you'll fight from that, you can do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I remember one time, me and some guys, I don't know, maybe Doug Murdoch was involved in it. I don't know. This is years ago over on Parker Avenue, another another era of river life. Chuck Moore, some of y'all know Chuck. We were praying. We were sitting on the front of the church praying and, It went from praying to begging. (laughs) you ever been there? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to beg God. I don't want a Christianity that begs. We're not beggars. We're sons. And I I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to beg God to do something that he doesn't want to do. You know, I want to ask God to do what he, to show me what he wants to do. And I want to do that. Forget this begging stuff. Now, I've begged some since then. One time I was trying to get this baby healed, and I tried every prayer. I, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to try the begging deal. I mean, you ain't answering my other prayers. So I'm going to try begging you to heal this little baby. Well, he never healed the baby. Isn't that crazy? Pray every prayer you know, and, and the Lord doesn't answer. Then there's, within a couple of weeks, there was this other crisis with this kid that had this massive head injury, okay? And it was terrible. Like, his skull was crushed. And he was going to die if the Lord didn't do something. And I went up to the hospital, and I was with the family, and we, pr- we started praying. And all of a sudden, this is what I saw. Look, this is so cool how God is. I was in a football game, okay. I was in a football game, and we were. I was on the defensive side of the ball, and we were at the, the goal line was at our back, and the and the other team had the ball, and it was the four, They had the, It was the fourth, fourth down. In other words, they had one last shot to get that ball into the end zone. I'm seeing all this in this vision. And so what happened was they, you know, they did what they do in a football game, you know, they got and they hiked the ball and I felt this rush I felt this push at me. This push came. And all of a sudden it was like this push this flex. It's like we flexed a little bit, the defense hit, and then we pushed back and knocked them to the ground. That was a vision. And I looked at the parents, I said, He's healed. He's gonna live. I knew right away, that's the situation. He was he was right on the verge of death. The enemy wanted to kill him. But the Lord was saying, no. That was so crazy to me because that was, and sure enough, the guy's alive today. He's a grown man now, you know, healthy. But what was crazy to me, how easy that was yeah. in the spirit to really see the Lord do a miracle where two weeks earlier, We had spent weeks fasting and praying for this little baby, and and the baby died. It's just, it's like one of the mysteries of his will. Are you with me? Well, y'all aren't acting like that very good. Yes, sir. And then the other thing it says that we're in Christ Jesus. Our security and our relationship is in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we have privileges. We have access. We have access, we have privileges, we have an inheritance. And we need to really begin to understand that and really begin to walk in that. Let me read this one last couple of verses and I'm going to let you go, okay? Are y'all good? Yeah, yeah come on. Hey, I love this stuff. Do y'all love this stuff? Yeah. Don't you want to be more spiritual? Yeah. Don't you want to have what God has for you? Yeah. I mean, I desperately do. Okay, well, I'm going to read Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Here's something a lot of people don't really understand about the Gospels. The Gospels are not the New Covenant. They The New Covenant actually began on the day of Pentecost. That's, you know, that's when all that, after Christ was raised from the dead. So there's some things in the Gospels. Here's, here's how you need to learn how to read the Gospels. Some things in the Gospels, Jesus is talking to people who are under the law, okay, and you need to be able to discern that. Like for instance, here's a classic one: forgiveness. There's certain verses that says if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. But that's speaking to old covenant people, because the New Testament, the, the Paul explains, Peter explains that we are forgiven in Christ. Okay, but all around those so see Jesus was speaking to these people but, but around that like in Mark 11 where he talks about not you need to forgive or your heavenly father won't forgive you. Around it is the issue of prayer. And that's what he was what it means to us as new covenant believers is unforgiveness will hinder your prayers. You see what I'm saying? God doesn't hinder them, but there's a consequence to unforgiveness. Are y'all following this? Yeah. So what he was trying to show us, there's consequences to things, even though God will forgive you. In fact, God has forgiven you, okay? But if you refuse to forgive, he's not going to take your, he's not going to, I used to think, oh, my gosh, if I don't forgive, I'm going to go to hell. I literally thought that. I'm going to go to hell because Jesus says if I didn't forgive, he couldn't forgive me. And I, but that's not really, for, that was the old covenant. That's literally how things worked in the old covenant. Aren't you glad we're in a new covenant? The new covenant says, no, you're forgiven. And if you don't forgive, God's not going to send you to hell. But there will be consequences to your unforgiveness. There will be tormentors. There will be things that will come against you and hurt you. And God doesn't send them. They're just the consequences that come with unforgiveness. In other words, if, if I go out and drink and get drunk God and get arrested for public drunkenness, God didn't arrest me. There was a consequence to my actions. And so that's a lot of what in the New Testament, what we, how, we, how we sort through what's old covenant and what, we, what applies to us. Does that make sense? Am I talking to anybody? So here's Jesus saying this. I just do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Well, I think that applies, right? You know, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, he was saying, anything you have here, any treasure here, is could be stolen from you, or it could decay. He's just—he's giving us a a warning. He's giving us a, a view, okay? Because he's trying to make a comparison. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so so we have a treasure in heaven, right? It's Jesus. Okay? Make him the treasure. That's what what he's saying for us. This is how this works for us. He's the treasure. Okay? There is nothing that's going to decay Jesus. Okay? And our inheritance... Is there with Jesus, is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And when we when we begin by faith to see ourselves there, okay, that's what Jesus was trying to teach us. That's why Paul explained it. He was trying to expound. That's what the epistles do. They try to they really literally explain explain the gospels to us and how the gospels apply to us. That's that's really what they do. I don't think I'm talking to nobody. Y'all were just giving me a bad stare. And so what Jesus was saying, if if you'll go after this heavenly treasure, this heavenly inheritance, okay, if that's, if you will turn your heart towards that, okay, then you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed because there's nothing that can take that from you. Now, the devil's going to try to take you. Here's the way it works. The devil can't take it from you, but you can give it to him. Okay? You can give it to him. You can sell out your birthright, so to speak. You know, that's why we're exhorted not to sin. Because it hinders us from walking in our inheritance. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.